With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined by a full crew today up in Northern Virginia. Mike McDaniel, what's up, man? What's going on? Not much, not much. Plenty to cover today. And I'm sure that Ricky LeBlue will have a lot to say. Ricky, you've been itching for this one since Friday night. Have you had your thoughts collected and everything like that? I sure hope so. If not, then I need to figure some shit out, right? Because that's it. we've had, what, four days now to decompress and figure out what we can take away from this game and i think we've all reached a point where we're just beating a dead horse indeed indeed well Ginny tech goes on the road to boston college and loses 17 to 3 the offense bottomed out we'll talk about it but first, we got to thank the good folks over at main street pharmacy main street pharmacy in downtown blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to, you want to, is the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, my friends. And look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right, gentlemen. Well, I'm assuming that most of our listeners watched the game, and boy, it was not pretty. We talked all offseason and throughout the season to this point about the risk that Virginia Tech took by not bringing in a competent backup quarterback after Two of their three quarterbacks left via the transfer portal. Well, those other two guys seem to be doing pretty well, much better than Knox Kadem did in action. Virginia Tech, with only three yards passing in the first half, only amount to 74 yards total. Just freewheel it, boys. What do you think? Well, um, I mean, this was probably what we should have expected. Unfortunately, uh, all three of us, I believe I don't Mike, I'm not sure who you picked, but I know Andrew and I picked uh, tech to win this game. I did. Um, yeah. So instead they lose and they lose in just another embarrassing fashion. Um, the obvious issue in this game was Virginia tech's first, it was their refusal. And then second, it was their inability to develop a, a, a coherent passing game, um, completing one pass and a half in an offense that is not the armed services is just absolutely dreadful. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no way around it. And Mike, we were talking about this before we actually started recording, but you know, Virginia tech ran the ball decently in this game. But in the end, it doesn't matter if you're having to face so many third downs because you're not able to get 
big chunks down the field. And that was the issue for the Hokies in this game. Tech was three of 11 on third down, which is obviously not going to cut it. Um, it's something that once Burmeister went out, we knew it was coming. Um, Kadem is just not capable of being a reliable, consistent quarterback at the power five level. And that's not a personal slight towards Knox. I've everything that I've read or heard about him is that he's a great guy. And, you know, he's certainly not a, a negative for your program from that perspective, but in terms of on the field talent, um, it's just not there. And uh, th- I think that was obvious in the sense that once Knox came into the game, Virginia tech basically refused to throw a pass for the next 15 minutes of, of game time. And uh, Boston college quickly realized that the Hokies had no confidence in Knox Kadem to figure things out. Now we'll get to the defense in a minute because they're not exempt from blame here, even though they only gave up 13 points, but Tech's offensive ineptitude was obviously the the giant takeaway from this game. Also, the glaring uh, white flag from Justin Fuente with about five minutes left, punting down two scores, probably the most indefensible uh, game day coaching decision that I've ever seen him make. Um, I've, I've defended a lot of his coaching decisions in the past, um, but that's that's about as indefensible as it gets and he quite literally punted on his team's chances of winning and that was incredibly frustrating and and disheartening to watch yeah i would argue they uh punted on their chances of winning when knox Kadem couldn't complete a forward pass well yeah, yeah obviously but <laughs> stop the, stop um... taking away from my pun here mike he punted <laughs> away by punting come on man I had a problem with that too, not because I was any more or less mad that like Virginia Tech was kind of just quitting on the game. It was more that the bigger deal for me wasn't like the game itself at that point. It was what kind of message does that send to your team, right? That that's more of what I took issue with. Not that, you know, he elected to punt and he comes out and says, oh yeah, field position because like to be honest with you, with the way the offense was moving the ball or lack thereof, I guess, it probably was in, to their benefit to punt at their own 25 with five minutes left statistically, which says everything that needs to be said about the offense, right, and how bad it was. Now, I want to say this. The offense itself, I thought the running game, once again, was pretty good. Uh, Malachi Thomas, 13 carries, 70 yards is 5.4 yards per carry. Raheem Blackshear, 12 carries, 67 yards, 5.6 yards per carry. Do the math there, 25 for 137, five and a half yards per carry. That's very good. That's very good in the running game. The issue is that Virginia Tech ran into too many third down situations where, okay, now it's time to throw. And in those situations, they couldn't complete a pass. Ricky, to your point, Virginia Tech was three of 11 on third down. The Hokies only ran 51 offensive plays Friday night. This is from Will Stewart of Tech Sideline, tied for seventh fewest in a game since 1987. So they couldn't stay on the field was the bottom line in this football game. As good as the running game was, at some point you do need to throw the ball a little bit. And once Braxton Burmeister left the game early, it was a wrap. And even 10 points, you know, it was 10 nothing at halftime for a Boston College lead. That 10-point lead felt insurmountable. And I tweeted this at halftime. And I said, and Ricky, Ricky, I know we were texting during the game with Matt Ballin. Shout out, Matt. I know he's listening to this. 
we were texting during the game. And the one thing I tweeted during halftime is Boston college is not good enough to pull away here. Like they're not good enough to pull away. So I hope you guys took the under, but at the same time, 10 points felt insurmountable. 10 points felt like 17. And then once it was 17 to three, it was like, Oh my God, this feels like a, you know, no way that Virginia tech comes back. Really. It took a dump pass there at the end of the half from Kadem to get the three yards or else Virginia tech would have been totally shut out in the passing yards category in the first half, which I mean, there are service academies that complete at least a forward pass in a half. Like Virginia Tech couldn't really do that. Knox Kadem, again, Ricky, nothing against him. Like you mentioned, nothing against Knox Kadem. Came in, did the best he could. The problem is that he's like an FCS quarterback, right? And, and there's a reason why he was committed to JMU. So that was an issue. I had an issue with punting with five minutes left because I, I think that's sending the message that you're quitting on the team, um, quitting on the guys. And we saw the players quit there in the last five minutes, but how can you blame them? Like I'd be quitting too. That's the first time we've seen that because the one thing we haven't criticized on this podcast, one thing we've given the players a lot of credit for is they have played hard all year. They haven't been great. They haven't been consistent. There's been some good. There's been a lot of bad, but the one thing we could point to all season long was the fact that this Virginia tech football team had to quit. And the first sign that we saw, and we've, we've mentioned this multiple weeks, right? When, when the chips were stacked against Virginia Tech, we've mentioned this in multiple podcasts. We've said, when is enough enough, right? Like, when do they cross that threshold where all of a sudden, like, we are just checking out, we're done. We saw the first signs of it in the fourth quarter on Saturday after that decision by Justin Fuente to punt it away. Yeah, I mean, so a couple things here. Number one, I had to make the decision because as you guys know, I went to the UNC Wake Forest game. So my decision-making process was, do I stay in Blacksburg and watch the game in Blacksburg so I can see it on TV? Or do I drive right after the pregame show and listen to the game on radio? I ultimately opted for the latter. And thank God I did because I wouldn't have been very happy with myself if I had altered my plans around sitting around for three hours and watching Virginia Tech put up three total points. I heard the game from the perspective of the Boston College radio guys, the Boston College radio network, because I was listening on XM. That was the only option provided to me. And they did a very good job illustrating the ineptitude and sheer hopelessness of the Virginia Tech offense, not just once Kingdom came in the game, but beforehand as well. I mean, <laughs> I believe one of the calls they made on a Burmeister pass was the, it's duck season. <laughs> It, it, it simply never sounded hopeful. And like you said, Mike, 10 nothing. you felt like the game was over. Even before that, Burmeister comes out of the game and you knew it was done because we had been waiting for this moment with a banged up Braxton Burmeister all throughout the year, taking the hits that he has, knowing that there was no real meaningful quarterback depth behind him. Right. And I don't think that counts as an excuse because – Knox Kadem, as you mentioned, had one power five offer and it was Virginia Tech. He is an FCS player and asking him to be more than that is an unfair thing for this fan base to do. What you can ask is this coaching staff to come in with one, maybe two competent backup quarterbacks that you feel you at least have a chance to win a game with. Yeah. And it's clear that Knox Kadem right now at this point in his career and maybe forever, is not that guy. And they had an entire offseason to go into the transfer portal and go find one, and they didn't. So the inevitable risk happened. In every Virginia Tech preseason article, 
it was always contingent on the health of Braxton Burmeister. Braxton Burmeister went down, and we thought the Pittsburgh game was a bottoming out. Clearly, it was not. This was at least the lowest point. We have hit a lower point, and I'm not convinced right now that if Braxton Burmeister doesn't come back healthy, that it can't get worse. Yeah, agree. I mean, this game wasn't lost on Friday night. This game was lost when Brad Cornelson couldn't develop quarterbacks and the ones that he did transferred out of the program. That's when this game was lost. This wasn't like Friday night, Virginia Tech all of a sudden had an inevitable injury and that's why they lost the game. It was like, yes, that's what happened like on a micro level, but on a macro level, this touches so many different areas and, and issues that they've had as a program under Justin Fuente. It's, it touches player development. It touches recruiting. It touches the portal. Like we saw all of that in the quarterback position kind of rear its ugly head. And then in the game, the play calling was an issue from a passing standpoint, because look, you know, when Knox Kadem comes into the game, you're not going to have even like the small semblance of passing offense you had under Braxton Burmeister is gone when he leaves the game. Right. So when Knox Kadem comes in, at least give the idea to Boston college that you're going to throw a little bit. And all I'm saying is throw a swing pass out of the backfield to Malachi Thomas or Raheem Blackshear, throw a screen pass, throw a slant, easy, high percentage throws. Don't throw these 50, 50 balls on fades to, you know, Dewan Lofton, who's, you know, 5'10", 5'11". Like that's a low percentage throw to begin with. And then it's even lower percentage considering the type of receiver that he is like those plays are not the ones that you even want to run with Braxton Burmeister. So now why are we running that with a backup quarterback? So when Boston College was stacking the box and Virginia Tech was still able to run the football effectively, that's a positive for Virginia Tech. It speaks to the strides in the, in the, in the running game. It's, it speaks to Malachi Thomas, who only has three negative rush yards now. Um, he, he's had a prominent role in, in three games, only three negative rush yards. And he is always finding a way to at least get back to the line of scrimmage or gain positive yardage. So it speaks to him as a running back. It speaks to Raheem Blackshear and the role he's taken on the running game as well. And it speaks to the offensive line finding a little something there with the running game. The issue is that when they stack the box, they're able to get a stop every now and then and force Virginia Tech into even third and medium. And Virginia Tech just simply couldn't pick it up because the obvious passing situations, you knew that Virginia Tech wasn't going to complete a forward pass. And with the play calling, you knew Brad Cornelson wasn't going to put the Hokies in position to be successful in the passing game, which he hasn't done all year. So it was a lose-lose situation, but this game was lost, you know, far before Friday night, in my opinion, because as soon as Burmeister left the game, we all knew that Virginia Tech's offense was screwed. We knew it. And the first couple of possessions at Manifest itself were like, man, is Virginia Tech going to score tonight? Like, that's the question I had. I wasn't sure that was going to take place. But that's reality, Mike, right? It's an, indefens it's an indefensible position to be in that everyone in your fan base knows that if you're, let's, Call a spade a spade. Below average quarterback gets knocked out. All hope is lost. <laughs> like, you have to have meaningful depth on your team because no team who is one injury away from devolving to the depths of college football is stands a chance. <laughs> especially when you're running that player who touches the ball every single play and has a well-documented history of injuries. Like we made it to this point in the year. Sure. And not that it's been great to the, but nothing we've seen all year has been this bad with the offense 
led by Knox Cato, without Trey Turner on the field as well. The coaching staff is completely and totally at fault here. There's injuries, at least when we look at this on the macro level, cannot be something to cover up the blemish of this coaching staff or the stain of this coaching staff on the program because I believe the fact that one injury got us to this point is more indicative of their failures overall than anything else we've seen. My favorite play, and by favorite, I mean least favorite from this game, was the third and two shortly after Knox Gatum came no, into the game. No, oh, don't do this to me. Okay. And Knox Gatum lined up in an empty set shotgun formation while Virginia Tech was running the football effectively. What side of the field did he run to, Ricky? It, it, that, that doesn't matter because it, was, short wasn't side. Really, it wasn't really a stretch run, but the point is – Short side. The point is, is that you're running your average athlete backup quarterback on a third and two in an empty set rather than using your two productive and hot running backs to try and convert on third and two. To me, that was the that's the one play that I'll remember from this game for a long time. Yeah, agree. Because not like Kadem clearly wasn't going to give you much on Friday night. Right. But this was just an obvious example of not putting him in position to succeed. How often have we seen an empty set with Burmeister in the shotgun with him running? We haven't seen that a lot this year at all because they've been afraid to run him. So now you're going to run it with Knox Kadem, who's the slower guy and the the less impressive athlete out of the two. I, I don't know. I didn't get it either. And I had a bigger problem, obviously, with the fact they didn't give it to either one of the running backs that were both running well. So that's a bigger problem I had, which is the issue that almost everybody had. But then as we got further removed from the game, I thought about that play a little bit more because that stuck out to me too, Ricky. And the more I thought about it, I was like, man, we would never run that play with Burmeister. Why are we running it with Knox Gatum? Like how many, how many times have we seen that play this year with Burmeister? I can't even remember a time where we've run that. Well, let's be honest. They weren't throwing the ball when Burmeister was in the game. No, no, they weren't. One pass attack. No. So now, now the the as bad as the offense was, let's let's talk about the defense here for a minute, right? So Phil Dracovic stunk. He was bad. Yeah, he was bad. He had one forty-six yard completion. Um so if you take that away from his stat line. Dracovic is six of 12 for about 60 yards and no touchdowns and one pick. His throws were short. They were long. They were off. They were way off target. He was making awful reads. He throws the interception to Dorian strong. That's fumbled. Not three seconds later. Boston college didn't have much of a passing attack either in this game. And they still found a way to score 13 points. Now, a lot of that is because of Virginia Tech's inability to tackle consistently. But I think being able to compare these two offenses to each other is damning, I think, to both the offense and the defense on on the Hokie side in that with a struggling quarterback, Virginia Tech scored three points. And with a struggling quarterback, BC scored 13 points. And the fact that B, that BC had very little passing passing success in this game, and Tech still couldn't keep them from getting more than 10 points away. Um, 
this was just a, another example of Virginia Tech's defense not playing good situational football and not being able to adjust and take advantage of, of good opportunities. The, the defense the last few weeks has really gotten bad, in my opinion, and um, getting bad in this situation against the quarterback who was clearly not ready to come back in this game. Dracovic should have taken another week. Um, Tech still couldn't get it done. Yeah, the defense. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Andrew. Go say, it's kind of ironic, right? Because, you know, talking about moments where you kind of knew it was over, I kind of figured it was over once I heard on the radio that Phil Dracovic was coming out, and I'd heard the rumors that right. he might, but I wasn't buying into it. I thought that was smoke and mirrors or something like that. Ultimately, he was. And at, at that point, because, you know, the thought process that I had going into this game is that. You score 20 points, you're going to beat Boston College. Yep. And yep. coming off of the Georgia Tech game, I said, well, there's a pretty darn good chance that Virginia Tech can put up 20-some-odd points here. I mean, Boston College's defense had struggled, especially against the run. But then with Dracovic, I thought, like, oh, the calculus on that goes way up. Now we're talking, you got a score of maybe 35, 40 points. There's the Phil Dracovic we saw in 2020, in early 2021. But he was nowhere near that guy. And it wasn't because Virginia Tech's defense was shutting him down. He was just straight up not ready. Yeah, I'm wondering how healthy he actually is, you know, um, or how much that's rust. I mean, I guess we'll find out if, you know, he continues playing the rest of the year. But throwing the football, I mean, he didn't look very good. He had that one pass that was intercepted that Dorian Strong fumbled back to Boston College to set up their first touchdown. That was pretty frustrating. And then there was the play that Tay Daly broke up um, that could have almost just as easily been intercepted if he broke on just a little bit earlier. He made a nice play, but got deflected. Uh, into the hands of a Boston College receiver for a first down. So that was also just kind of bad luck. So not only was Virginia Tech not playing well, but it felt like every weird random break was going BC's way in that game uh, early on, especially. I was like, man, this is like Virginia Tech's not playing well, but also this is pretty wild how things are breaking. So you you make your own luck to a degree for sure. Um, and I'm a believer in that, but there's some things that just you leave up to random chance. And when those go against you too, it's it's tough. But I thought the defense... I didn't think the defense was very good. I mean, I, I know I, you know, I look at the score and okay. Yeah. It's, it's 17 to three fine. Ben, but don't break. Okay. Whatever. But Virginia tech's tackling was horrible in this football game. Uh, gap integrity was an issue again uh, with the linebackers. A few of the defensive linemen played fine, um, but there were too many opportunities for Boston college to, to open up holes in the running game for Pat Garwo, who, you know, ran the ball like, a literal thousand times it felt like uh, with not a ton of success, but he had enough success, you know, um, 30 carries for 116 yards in this game and a touchdown. Boston college was content with just running it down Virginia tech's throat. And when Virginia tech was getting some stops in the second half, I, I don't want to just completely take away like any sort of credit from Virginia tech's defense, but there were a few, few occasions there where Boston college had third and short, and they decided that throwing the ball with Dracovic was a better idea than running it once again right at the heart of Virginia Tech's defense where they had some success. So the same issues that we were talking about earlier with third and short play calling for Virginia Tech, we saw some of that for BC as well. Um, BC kind of took themselves off the field a couple times too. So that the linebacker play as a whole has been pretty disappointing all year. You know, uh, Dax has not been very good. And Tisdale has not been very good. And the defensive line is just not creating enough pressure on the quarterback on a consistent basis. I mean, they've been largely absent since the 
North Carolina game to start the year. Um, and I guess the first couple drives against Notre Dame, <laughs> that, that's really been about it for the pass rush this year. So that's been disappointing too, considering what we all saw in the opener. We're like, okay, if this is the defense that shows up week to week and Virginia Tech's offense could just produce enough, just score 20 to 24 points every week, Virginia Tech's going to be in every single football game. The issue is that the offense has obviously taken several steps back and you know, we thought that the offense might struggle at times this year, but I think this is this is worse than I think even I expected, certainly. Yeah, I mean, what the North Carolina game gave us was a lot of hope, but what the game turned out to be was a situation where Virginia Tech's narrow path to victory was realized. <laughs> like, right. the defense played one of the best games that they could possibly play. You know, we talk about the pass rush, which after that game we really figured was going to be the mainstay of this team. And it turns out that that was just the combination of, you know, maybe some guys playing their hearts out, maybe a bad pass blocking offensive line for North Carolina and everything broke in the right way. And that's before James Mitchell is hurt. So injuries start to pile up, including maybe to Braxton Burmeister, who was a better quarterback in that game than I think he was in any game of the year, save maybe against Georgia tech last week. But the offense outperformed, the defense outperformed, and Virginia Tech got a win. That, you know, but all those things had to happen in order for Tech to emerge victorious. And, you know, knowing what we know now, it turns out that was a lot to ask to see that on a week to week basis. The defense has played well throughout the season at times, and it's kept Tech in games. But now, as the whole thing starts to unravel, especially on the offensive side of the ball, you know, this. It was wishful thinking to think that this combination would be enough to win you seven, eight games. Yeah. And that's why a good chunk of us didn't think the tech was going to win seven or eight games. Yeah. I think I said eight and four on the uh, preview, like for our, for the season preview. Uh, but even then I was like, yeah, I think that's probably on the high end. <laughs> that's like everything breaks, <laughs> everything breaks appropriately. So this is uh, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. This is, in my mind, playing out even worse than the worst-case scenario that I had in my brain. And, now, and also, really quick on the offensive end, Trey Turner not available in this game. I'm not sure, honestly, what impact it would have made once Braxton Burmeister went out. But before we move on from this game and, and hit on basketball, because I know that's on our agenda for the evening, um, there was a lot of, I guess – confusion after the game as to what the deal was regarding Trey Turner's injury because um, he was Justin Fuente was asked about it in the post game and he said that he didn't know that Turner wasn't going to be available coming into this game and what he act what he actually meant was he didn't know until later in the week that Turner wasn't going to be able to play um, and there's some people making a, a big stink about that i'm really not sure that there's much to to talk about there fuente kind of elaborated on trey's injury which i mean is rare in itself right that fuente talks about injuries and apparently trey has this really odd situation where he's got a bubble of air trapped in his neck and it causes pain when the air pressure changes um in in higher altitudes and it would have caused a severe issue when he was when he was flying to bc and they first noticed it on the um the, the the plane back from atlanta and i guess they were under the impression that it was it was getting better and gone away 
But either way, I, I don't think that it's what it sounded like originally, which was that Justin Fuente has completely lost control of his program and doesn't know what players are injured and what players aren't injured. Because that's what it felt like originally after when I first heard that after the, the, the game ended on Friday night. But I don't think that that is the case. And I think it's important to clear that up. There are plenty of things to criticize his coaching staff about. But this situation, I don't think is one of them. So I got one more thing before we get off this, because someone tweeted at all three of us, and I don't think any of us responded. I mean, I was in the car. All of us were probably trying to process what was going on in front of us. But someone Was this tweeted, on Friday night? Because I was, I was definitely uh, intoxicated after this game, considering that Mike and Matt <laughs> and I were sending reply chugs to each other as, tech, as Tech's offense completely floundered. Yeah, no, trust me. I ain't blaming anyone for drinking. <laughs> but, but <laughs> someone, uh, someone tweeted at the three of us and said, like, in all seriousness, how does this not qualify as Taj time? And the more oh, I think of it, yeah. having gone through the game and seeing that, I just don't think that Knox Kadem is really good enough to be playing for Virginia Tech. Yeah, maybe Taj Bullock is. Is that the, the most the most Bullock frustrating part about it? Is that when when Connor Blumrick went out, you kind of assumed that Virginia Tech was going to have Taj at least capable of taking a snap, right? Uh, especially since he was now the third quarterback. And that doesn't seem to be the case. Like, I understand that Knox has been in the program and, you know, he's probably practiced really hard and, and maybe he had earned this opportunity in practice. But with only four games left, and this was starting, you know, last week. Now there are only three. Um, playing Taj would not have burned his red shirt if you play him for the rest of the season. And I was pretty, um, I, I was pretty certain we were going to see Taj Bullock in this game yeah, in the I second so half, uh, just because Kadem clearly was not providing any sort of momentum for the offense, and it didn't happen. And um, I think that's a mistake. I, I think that at a certain point, you've got to try and, and, and jog your offense's rhythm. And uh, obviously, Taj is going to be pretty unprepared considering he was getting third team reps in, in this game. But with that being said, um, if you're trying to, to find a spark, you're not going to find it with the guy who's who complete his first two passes that were completed were both hospital balls. I don't know if you guys saw that. Yeah. But yeah, the first one yeah. got uh, Raheem Blackshear absolutely rocked. And then Tavion Robinson, same thing, rocked right over the middle of the field. Yep. At a certain point, you've got to realize it just Knox doesn't have it. And you've got to go another route. And you've got a guy who you obviously believe in because you recruited his ass out of New Jersey. So, Put him on the field. He's he's been in the program for several months now. He's he got taken off the the scout team. Give him a chance. Yeah, I'd give him a chance too. I mean, and, I, I and I'm not even saying that he would have done better than Kadem, but at least it right. would have been an effort right. to try and improve. Yeah, because you saw what you were getting out of Knox, and it wasn't very much. Yeah, that, that you took the words right out of my mouth there. Yeah, like I don't think ultimately it matters if he plays or not. I would like to see it though. Because maybe it does provide the offense with a little bit of a spark. Is Virginia you have a, you have a higher chance now? of of building an offensive rhythm with your higher ceiling freshman coming in and playing 
than you do the incredibly low ceiling third year player who you only brought in because Hendon Hooker, Hendon Hooker was in the transfer portal for a couple months. Right. And the guys on the offense know when Knox comes in the game, the passing game is going to be an issue. I mean, they know they practice with them all the time. They're aware. And I'm, maybe they think that with Taj too, but at least he's a freshman and highly touted. And a lot of these guys want him to come into, come to school. Taj, here, Taj right? has more skills. Right. Then more than Knox does physically. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. I would be, look, I would be absolutely shocked if, if Taj Bullock is is less physically imposing of a quarterback in terms of his arm strength and his natural ability. Right. I think I mean, everyone would be absolutely shocked. So at a certain point, you've got to just roll the dice because let's be honest, if if the status quo doesn't change, Justin Fuente is not coaching this team next year. Justin Fuente is not coaching this team next year. And and, anyway. and you're and you're ninety-nine point nine percent most likely correct. My point is, if you're Justin Fuente and you're trying to save your job, you would go, you would want to go with someone that at least gives you a better chance to try and get things done. Gives you a puncher's chance. And instead, he decided to roll with Kadem. And, and again, Kadem seems like a nice guy, but he's just not going to cut it at quarterback. Right. Yeah, there's, a, mean, there's a reason why Kadem was getting recruited and was committed to James Madison and Tosh Bullock had multiple Power 5 offers. Like, there's a, there's a reason that happened. Now, sometimes those kids that go to, you know, FBS or excuse me, FCS or Division Two, they end up ha- you know, being pretty good. Right. But but how how often does that happen? Almost yeah. never. Right. So chances are, if you don't have the that kind of offer list, it's for a reason. And Taj has the skill set theoretically that might be able to jog your offense. And I, I thought that that would have been a great situation to put him in just to see what can happen. It certainly would have been a change of pace for BC because you have to worry about Taj Bullock running the football. With Knox Kadem, you don't have to worry about that all that much. That was clearly obvious on the third and two attempt where Knox was, again, in an empty set in a shotgun with, <laughs> with no one around him. <laughs> Not a winning play. <laughs> like... And again, Mike, sometimes FCS players do end up amounting to something and developing, but that's usually guys who either have the physical attributes that would be required to succeed or develop them over time. Like Knox Kadem doesn't have the arm strength of a power five FPS quarterback. Like, you know, Carson Wentz. Neither does Braxton Burmeister. That's true, but at least Braxton (laughs) Speedy Gonzalez. Like Yikes. Knox Kadem's skill set doesn't even fit the offense. <laughs> like even no, if no, it, it, it absolutely <laughs> doesn't. I mean, he's Knox is like the the Jack Click mold of quarterback, right? Uh, except I, I think that you would trust Jack Click a bit more to run your offense. Jack Click, Jesus, <laughs> that's a throwback. Yeah, it is. Gosh. Basketball. (laughs) The more we talk about it, the more like I do feel like punting, you know, down 14 points with five minutes left is the equivalent of basically everything that happened in this game. It's like not being willing to take the risk to do what would be required to save your job and just hoping that the most conservative possible approach will lead to things just falling into your lap and maybe you squeak it out somehow like what you punt it and they fumble immediately. <laughs> like I... And, and, and to, to kind of tie a bow on this, at least on my end, um, I, I wrote 
a column after this game and talked about how, um, you know, the this coaching job was just not good enough. It, it's just not going to get it done. And then I tweeted when I shared that, that this is probably going to be the last time you hear me, you know, seriously comment on the coaching performance coaching staff um, for, for the rest of the season, unless something extreme happens, just because at this point, there's nothing else I can say. And I think Dave Scarangella uh, opined on that well today in his column, basically saying that folks talking about this isn't going to change anything. Uh, we, we all know what's going on here. Everyone understands the situation. Uh, Virginia Tech needs to make a coaching change. I think everyone understands that. So um if you if you don't see me constantly talking about it on Twitter, this is why I, I just I, I don't see any value constantly bringing it up. Um, my my opinions on Twitter are not going to change what happens or doesn't happen. Uh, everyone knows where I stand on it, and I think the the Virginia Tech fan base would be best served just leaving this alone because I think we all understand where this is going and where it should go, and we'll. We'll see what things look like after Thanksgiving when Tech plays for uh, UVA. But uh, for now, I just I don't see any redeeming value from constantly talking about this uh, in a column or on social media or, or, quite frankly, on the podcast anymore in terms of judging Justin Fuente's ability to coach football. I think we all stand pretty equally on that front. Uh, yeah. I mean, we got six years of evidence to work with there. But, you know, let's talk about basketball. Season opens tomorrow, I guess, for those listening to this podcast on Tuesday, today. And uh, Virginia Tech, obviously, high expectations coming in. So a team that unexpectedly reached the NCAA tournament last year. They were a year ahead of schedule. You know, some key contributors gone. Tyrese Radford with Buzz Williams at Texas A&M now. Obisa Beattie graduated. Uh, Jalen Cohn at Northern Arizona now, and to a lesser degree, Joe Bamisiel, who is one of the highest rated recruits, if not the highest rated recruit in the Mike Young era is also gone. They do add Storm Murphy though, Southern Conference player of the year, former Mike Young player at Wofford. Duke can shoot the lights out. So I'll ask you guys on paper right now, is this team still better than last year's team? Now that we know that Tyrese Radford's gone? No, no. I think that, I think they are. I, I don't think that they're better. And Mike, you and I talked about this before we started recording, but I have serious questions about this team's ability to uh, score and defend on the wing. Um, Darius Maddox is basically the only guy on this roster that looks like a legitimate wing to me. Naheem Aline possibly, but on the offensive end, he's not someone who drives to the basket and makes his, his living by driving and creating in the paint, he's, he's much more of a shooter and that's where he's comfortable. Um, so I, I worry severely about tech's ability on the wing, both to defend and, and to attack from there, from there. I, I do think that the point guard depth is better this year, considering that storm Murphy is starting. And I think Sean Padula will be able to carve out a role as probably that backup guard. Um, hopefully, Virginia Tech doesn't get into a situation where Hunter Couture is your, your second point guard again, because we all know how frustrating that was last year. I, I do like the, the, the talent that Tech has at the one and two. Uh, I actually like the talent they have at the four and the five. Um, KV Aluma needs to 
kind of rebound from his shaky NCAA tournament performance and get back to what he was doing uh, in the regular season, which was, you know, being one of the most productive players in the conference. I still think Justin Mutz is one of this team's X factors. I really love his game. I love his attitude. I love the way he plays. I like the front court depth. They've got a lot of bigs on this roster, which is something that we're not used to here in Blacksburg. But again, I keep going back to this lack of depth on the wing. And this was something that was never an issue really when Buzz Williams was around, but that was because he didn't recruit any centers, <laughs> right? So he, all he had were wings and guards. Um, I, I do worry a bit about Tech's ability out there on the perimeter uh, away, from the, away from the point guard position. I think this entire season comes down to whether or not David Angusan and Darius Maddox specifically take strides forward in their game. Now, David Angusan had a much bigger role for Virginia Tech last year than Darius Maddox did. Maddox is going to have a bigger role. Is he able to seize that? Is Naheem Aline able to become more like the player we saw in the back half of the season, and especially in that NCAA tournament game where he popped off? Is he able to become more of that type of guy rather than the guy who is a bit more hot and cold? Um, Hunter Couture, I thought, was pretty consistent all year last year. I would like to see him playing off the ball more. He had to play behind Wabisabidi out of necessity. But Hunter Couture's strengths are, A, as a defender, where he was he made huge strides in his game last year. He was really, really good as a sophomore uh, defending on, on the perimeter, uh, much better than he was as a freshman. And we know he can shoot it. I mean, he shoots the lights out. We know that. Uh, so I would love to see him off the ball more. I think Sean Padula will help that. Now, how, you know, I think Storm Murphy is going to garner a ton of the minutes, as he should. I think it's a net positive that he's now in the starting lineup. I think the offense will be better for it because I think a lot of times last year, Virginia Tech was playing four on five because BD just simply was not a threat to score. So you're being defended differently everywhere when one guy on the floor literally cannot shoot. So Obviously, an upgrade there with Murphy. Now, how will Virginia Tech's defense look? That's that's a question I have, right? Does, does Storm Murphy, you know, is he going to provide at least like 65, 70% of the defense that Wabisabidi was able to provide? Because Beatty, for all of the issues that he had offensively, he was one of the best perimeter guards in the entire conference uh, on the defensive side of the floor. So can Murphy be good enough defensively? Um, can Dave Ingusson take a step forward? Can Darius Maddox, you know, carve out a nice role for himself because I think he's going to play significant minutes and then it's really all about Aluma and Mutz and and Storm Murphy and Naheem Aline you know guys we already know about and this has the potential to be a pretty deep rotation if at least a couple of these got fringe guys take a step forward or if Sean Padula you know jumps in and he gets acclimated a bit quicker than I think uh, we're expecting. Now, Padula was a good recruit. We know he's, you know, got capability to be a very good player. Uh, you know, is he able to effectively spell Storm Murphy or in some scenarios play off the ball with Storm Murphy? Because I think Virginia Tech and Mike Young, they've always gotten creative with their rotations. I'm interested to see what happens there. But I think Maddox and David Angusan are the X factors. David Angusan's gotten a lot, a lot, a lot of love from Mike Young. Uh, leading up to the season. He's, you know, a guy that Mike Young has said has taken tremendous strides forward in his game. So let's see it, you know, if he's able to develop into a guy who can step away from the basket and, and knock down jump shots consistently, that adds a totally different dynamic to this Virginia Tech team. David Gusan, 6'9", 205. If he's able to step away from the basket, knock down threes, a la Kebe Aluma, you know, when we saw him 
coming in from Wofford and he was a very different type of player uh, offensively than, than we expected. If we, if we see some of that out of David and Gusan, that totally changes the trajectory of this team. I expect Virginia tech to be very good. Like, I think they will be a team that'll, they'll find themselves in the, in the top 25 and, um, you know, a team that'll absolutely make the tournament. I mean, if this team doesn't make the tournament, I think it's a pretty big disappointment. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Mike. And I think the difference between the ceiling and the floor here is whether guys who have already probably outperformed expectations coming into school can continue to make strides forward. And as well as the guys that you talk about, like David and Gusan, can they make that step forward as well? I mean, you look at this lineup, right? Storm Murphy, originally committed to Watford, not a guy that was really recruited by anyone. Couture, originally committed to Wofford, flips over with Mike Young when Mike Young gets the job. Naheem Aline, not highly recruited. Justin Mutz, starts at High Point, goes to Delaware, Virginia Tech. Keve Aluma, starts at Wofford. These guys have outperformed and essentially pushed out of the program some of the higher-rated recruits like Joe Bamasil, like Jalen Cohn. So what I see is Mike Young as a coach that can take the talent he's given and maximize it within his system. But Lightning's got to keep striking on this one so Virginia Tech can get some meaningful depth. With that being said, defensively, I mean, Ricky, you seem real worried about that defensively, losing Beattie, not having much of a presence on the wing. Is this a scenario where you envision Virginia Tech just getting outmatched, you know, game after game in ACC play or something like that? I think there are situations in which Tech goes up against teams that have dominant two or three uh, guys uh, who can just kind of outmatch who Tech is going to put on the floor to guard them. Uh, Mike mentioned that Hunter Couture is a good defender, and that's true. Um, Hunter is a really good defender, and you have to give him credit for that. But he's only one guy, and I'm not sure who else in the backcourt and at the three – is going to be able to defend guys on the wing. And that's that's a, a serious worry for me. I, I do think that Tech's offense is better. Um, I, I, I do worry about their you know lack of presence on the wing on that end, but I think that the, the addition of Storm Murphy will really transform things. And I, I do have high expectations for him, but I do have worries on the defensive end, especially since you remove Beattie from the equation. Beatty could guard three different positions on the floor. He guarded them exceptionally well. Uh, th there isn't anyone on the roster, at least that we know of at the moment, that can play like that. Uh, also, I think there's something to say about the mentality that Tyrese Radford brought to the floor. Uh, someone's going to have to fill that gap. I don't know who it's going to be. There are some options, Storm Murphy being one of them. But Virginia Tech's going to have to find some guys that are just absolute dogs and, and guys that can take over the game. And Radford was one of those guys. I think I see it a little bit in Jalen Mutt, or excuse me, Justin Mutz. Um, but there's got to be at least one or two other guys that can do that on a consistent basis to try and fill that gap for, for Tyrese Radford. Um, unfortunately, we're not going to see, at least in my opinion, we're not going to see any legitimate basketball until – Late November, uh, when Tech plays Memphis, um, that is, uh, I think, I think a huge game for Tech in terms of just showing us what they can do. And as we move later throughout the schedule, uh, not that this is, you know, one of their toughest opponents, but I am also curious to see how they play 
Dayton and St. Bonaventure, two games on the road. Well, one's on a neutral site, uh, but two games away from Castle right before the ACC schedule really starts to kick into gear. Uh, Tech's going to have some serious challenges. And Mike, you mentioned before we started recording, the non-conference schedule actually is somewhat intriguing after the first five or six games. Because Tech, again, has two neutral site games, one against Memphis and one against either Xavier, Ohio State, in Brooklyn. And then they have a road trip to Maryland, which is, I think, a, a good challenge for this team. A road trip to Dayton, a neutral site game versus the Bonnies. And then they start getting into the ACC schedule. So by the time this team hits the ACC, at least the meat of the ACC schedule um, in the around Christmas time, December 22nd, that'll be when we really get an idea as to what this team can do. But they'll be at least somewhat battle tested going into that game. And that's encouraging that they, uh, they're not just playing a, a cupcake non-conference schedule. And then by the time they get to ACC play, they're, you know, they're not sure how to play against better competition so I'm, I'm glad that this schedule is a bit better uh in terms of 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 toughness because i think that they're going to need that going into the rest of the acc uh ac schedule i will be at the navy game on friday night in annapolis so looking forward to that game number two i'll be there look at you mike that's commitment to the cause all right before we finish up this conversation ceiling floor prediction uh tech is good enough to tech is good enough to win the ACC. I think if everything goes, you know, if we're, if we're talking best case, I don't think that's likely. Um, I, I just tech doesn't have the, the talent to make that something that's likely to happen. I think what's likely to happen is they'll finish top five or top six in the conference uh, in that range. Um. But if we're talking ceiling, they can win the ACC and they can make a run to maybe the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight floor. Um, they probably finish in the mid to to bottom part of the conference, you know, something kind of the 8 to 12 range. Um, they miss the tournament. Um, those issues on the wing really come to haunt them. Storm Murphy doesn't play well against tougher competition uh, and injury to one of their key guys that could really change the complexion of things. So that's probably where the floor is. I think that this team has a wide range of, of possibilities and outcomes as to where they could fall. And I do think they'll fall somewhere in the middle of that. I do think that this is a tournament team. I do think that they're capable of being one of the, the, the top six teams in the ACC. And I think that they're capable of winning a game in the tournament, depending on their matchup. But um, I'm glad that when, by the time we get to the ACC schedule, which is generally when most people really start paying attention to college basketball, I'm glad we'll have a, a better idea as to what this tech team can do because they're going to face those tougher tests early on. Yeah, I think floor is probably like seventh or eighth in the ACC, which I think would be a disappointment. That's why it's the floor, I guess. Anything worse, I think it would be injury related. I just think the team's too talented and the ACC is pretty wide open too. Uh, ceiling. I agree. Um, I think Virginia tech can absolutely win the ACC, you know, if everything breaks their way. Uh, I think it's pretty likely uh, on paper that Virginia tech should make the NCAA tournament. I think falling short of that would be a pretty big disappointment for year three of Mike Young, given this roster. 
And then as far as what happens in the tournament, I mean, I, I think Virginia Tech will certainly be a very talented team, you know, once they get into the field and a team that not a lot of people want to play because literally everybody can shoot. So I mean, Virginia Tech's going to trot out one through five and just shoot the lights out. Uh, so they're not going to be a fun team to play against in the tournament, but it's totally dependent on on matchups when, once you get to March. So yeah, Virginia Tech can make a run for sure. Um, they could be like a sweet 16 elite eight type team for sure, but it all depends on draw. But as far as the regular season is concerned, I think Tech can win the ACC. I think that's definitely a possibility. More than likely, I think they finish within the top five of the conference. So, Yeah, I'm pretty much right where you are at, Mike. I mean, this is a team that I don't think anyone, if they are as we imagine them to be, a team that can shoot the lights out from all five spots on the floor. It's like the total nightmare scenario. If they come in and say a six seed and can make a little bit of a run in the NCAA tournament. That being said, some vulnerabilities in matchups like Ricky foreshadowed could lead to an early exit. I like, uh, I think they're probably going to finish fifth or sixth in the ACC, maybe be a six, seven seed in the NCAA tournament. I think that's like the median range. They could do better. I could envision them falling a little bit worse. Rick, what do you got to say? Really quick. I think it's important to note that that would be, I don't think anyone could complain if tech finishes top six in the ACC. No, no nope. tech. I think it's important to note that Tech is inherently limited in terms of the of their standing in the ACC, given that the other teams in this in this conference, beating Duke, Carolina, Virginia, Louisville, on a consistent basis is going to be incredibly difficult. These basketball programs are much more established than the Hokies, and and if that means that Tech is a top six basketball program in the ACC, there is no complaining to be had about that whatsoever it is not the same calculus as it is in football where the ultimate goal is to win the conference championship in basketball the whole idea is to make sure that you're competitive in the acc that you can get to the tournament and then you see what happens so if tech goes out there and finishes top six in the acc i'll be as happy as hell and uh if they finish in the top six in the acc it'll almost certainly mean that they're in the tournament which Considering where this program was just, you know, seven or eight years ago, being in the tournament is still a blessing. I, I think it would be best put like this. Virginia Tech, if they're finishing top five in the ACC year after year after year, they're doing that with similar inherent program deficiencies compared to their opponents that Wake Forest does winning with Dave Clawson as their coach and constantly finishing, you know, at least in bowl contention year after year after year. Yeah, yeah, I, I would have no qualms with with Tech being a top six ACC basketball program, and I, I really hope that they get there. I, I think Mike Young is a, a, a great coach. He certainly proved it, you know, in the first part of his tenure here. Uh, he's got some things he's going to have to figure out this year, but you have to feel pretty confident about his ability to do that. Um, and it'll be. It'll be interesting to see, I think, too, how the the football coaching search, which almost assuredly will happen, will uh, almost compete for headlines in terms of the basketball program. I'm curious to see how that pans out. Well, like you said, I mean, there's going to be no shortage of interesting games. <laughs> Virginia Tech's not going to be able to complain about a weak non-conference schedule going into ACC play. They could go in with a pretty strong resume already before – the heart of ACC play happens, but you know, we could also see if they drop a couple of those games, if they don't look good, the deficiencies that maybe we didn't expect out of this team. So it, it'll be interesting early on, not super early on, like you said, Rick, 
don't prepare to learn a whole lot over the course of the first two weeks. But once Thanksgiving rolls around, it's going to get interesting. Absolutely. All right, gentlemen, anything else? Uh, I do want to go on a quick soliloquy about the Duke game. If you have tickets uh, or you have nothing to do this weekend, go to the game. I understand you're frustrated with Tech's current football situation, but uh, I think it's important for everyone to enjoy this experience one last time before we go on hibernation for the next nine months. Support the as seniors. It's, as it's related to football, you know, go go and show your support for for the guys who have given their, you know, their time and effort to the program. I will be in Blacksburg this weekend. I'll be in the box for the final home game of the year. Uh, looking forward to it. And again, if you've got tickets, don't sell them. Just go show up, go get hammered, um, go to the game, enjoy the game, go to Sharky's, eat some wings afterwards. Everything will be fine. Great review. Subscribe also. <laughs> yes. Yep. He somehow didn't. He somehow missed that. So that's I got because I, I, I was on my soapbox, man. I got you covered. <laughs> All I'll say, my last thoughts: Keenan Stadium doesn't compare to Lane Stadium. Oh, wake! Come on, bro. I know. Stop. What is this? Don't come Again. on, man. I, I was banking on Chase Muma going in there and just lighting it up. But Chase Muma, he's an offensive-minded guy. <laughs> yeah. They did that. Just that was that was incredibly frustrating. I, I really needed Dave Clawson to just spank Mac Brown. It didn't happen. <laughs> How about this? 58 points for North Carolina in that game. Does Tech score 58 points the rest of the way combined? No, no shot. No shot. <laughs> no, no. Thir- 38 would be an accomplishment. I mean, I uh, now hold on. UVA's off or excuse me, UVA's defense is really bad. I know, I know Tech's offense is also really, really bad, but Tech might be able to get to the, the 30 number against UVA. The only problem is, is that they might give up 40 in that game. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, 50 is not completely outside the realm. We'll see. We'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> All right, folks, tough times. Basketball season's on its way. We'll get a Duke preview coming your way in just a couple days. Should be... A real barn burner of a game. By the way, Tech right now an 11-point favorite in Vegas. Take that as you will. Yeah, Ricky's catching oh. flies with his mouth and his oh. hands up for his eyes now. 11? 11? 11-point favorites, yes. What? Oh, my God. Stay away from oh, that one. Man, I'm curious to see what that line is in a couple of days when we record. Holy smoke. Yeah. 11. 11? All right. Oh my God. Yeah, regardless, chew on that for the next couple of days, folks. Until then, go Hokies. <laughs>